0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the sixth part in our summer series. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. In this place. Hey, so glad you could be here today. Uh, we've been journeying through the Bible all summer. Have you guys enjoyed this summer? Kind of going this there. Everywhere. We, uh, we were in Genesis last week. We're back in the New Testament this week. Um, Paul. The Apostle Paul, who I'll talk about in a second, he writes a letter to a church in a place called Corinth. And we're picking it up kind of in the middle, but this is what he says. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. I love this rhetoric that we live in today. It says, I should never change. It's like, no, he died. That those who live should no longer live. Like when Jesus comes into my life, I can't be the same as I was yesterday. If I'm the same as I was yesterday, come on somebody, you might not have met Jesus yet. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this from God who reconciled to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How many of y'all happy for that message right there? And he then has committed us to the message of reconciliation. I want to call our message this morning, All Things all things new. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus. You guys can find your seat this morning. So glad that you could be in the house today. Uh, If you are new or visiting, my name is Harrison, and I'm just so glad that you uh, could make it here today. We love you. Uh, Even if we don't know you yet, uh, myself and my wife, Christy, we have the honor of leading this church uh, together. So, so glad you guys could be here this morning. Um, My wife and I Speaking of her, we decided uh, this last long weekend to do some yard work. Long weekend, got to do some yard work. Now, one thing I've realized is that having kids as a man doesn't make you a dad. What makes you a dad is when you begin to worry about how green your lawn is in the backyard. (laughs) That's when you know you've reached dad status. It doesn't matter how many kids you have. You're a dad when you really start caring about how green your lawn is. I'm at that phase in my life, and I'm just here to let you guys know, in the name of Jesus, my lawn is greener than it's ever been. Can I get an amen in the place this morning? That's a mixture of fertilizer and rain, but I did the fertilization myself. And so we decided that because our lawn was looking so good, we wanted to kind of upgrade uh, to make it look even better. So the people that lived in our house before us, they had an RV or a trailer or something like that. And so in the back of our backyard, there's kind of this gravel road little thing where they used to park their RV. And so we decided, because the grass was looking so good, we wanted the whole backyard to be filled with grass, and so we decided that we were going to fill that back patch with grass. So what I did is I went on YouTube and I did a little research on how to plant grass, watched a three-minute video, I'm not going to lie, the three minutes are a little too long for me, so I kind of skimmed through it. But I made my way to Lowe's, and upon talking to some people, that was my first mistake. But anyways got to Lowe's, and I told the guy that works there kind of the whole situation, trying to plant some grass. What should I do? Should I do seed? Like, I knew enough to have a conversation. Like, should I use seed, or should I use sod? And the guy kind of gave the pros and cons between the seed and the sod, and ultimately, sod kind of gets you there a little bit faster than seed, and so I was like, all right, I'll take the sod. Now, if you've ever bought you know, kind of the the, the lawn stuff and outdoor stuff from these stores, it's outside. So you pay inside, and then you go grab it outside. So I went in, I paid for my soil, and I paid for the sod. Had to pick up the the soil outside, did that, then I went over to the sod. And when I went to the sod, I could see the edges of the sod were like kind of brown. And I was like, that doesn't look right, but My 17 year old friends here at Lowe's would never let me down. So I loaded the 10 things of sod into our van. I took it home. And when I got home and I unrolled everything, every piece of the sod was extremely brown, almost looked dead. Now, could I have taken the sod back home or back to Lowe's? Perhaps. But I'm stubborn. And I believe in the God that can take things that are dead and bring them back to life. Come on. So I decided to put the sod down regardless. And you know, it's been raining this week, and so the Lord's been doing a great work. But I was thinking about this situation and I thought back to the conversation and I realized the guy at Lowe's he kind of dropped a low-key hint that like he knew this sod wasn't going to be as great. As it could be, because he, uh, he said some people like to get the sod on Thursdays when it comes in. And it was Saturday. And I didn't quite pick up on that cue till I got home. But I was thinking about the situation, and I was thinking to myself, like, I just wish he would have told me straight up. I just wish someone would have told me. Have you guys ever been in a situation, maybe a less than ideal situation, and you're like, I wish someone just would have told me. You guys ever been there? Like, I just, I just wish I knew. Now, why am I telling this story? I'm not talking about grass all day today as much as I'd like to. If you want to come see my house, it's open and available for tours. But what I want to talk about today uh, is I want to talk about church. And I want to talk about, most specifically, community. I want to talk about the importance of community and why we need it. And I believe God's plan for it and how to build it. And I'll preface by saying something. I love the church of Jesus Christ. I believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe it is God's agent to bring the good news everywhere, all places, community. I love the church all that good stuff. But I want to tell you something that like maybe, maybe you're already past the place, but if you haven't got there, that like, I want to tell you something that, so in the future you're not like, I just wish someone would have told me. Can I tell you something? Church is amazing. Hope of the world. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to be in community. And Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe every interaction you've ever had in church is positive. Maybe Kingdom Church is the most loving and welcoming, hope-filled place you've ever been to. Come on, somebody. But I want to let you know, one day, somehow, Sister Betty's going to say something that's going to really offend you. And you're going to think to yourself... How could a Christian say something like that? I hope y'all like when I preach. But there's going to come a day, may it be in the distant future, where you don't like everything I say. And one day, hopefully from the pulpit, not in an interpersonal relationship, You're going to say to yourself, how could a pastor ever say that? I thought he was a Christian. And I say all this to say that sometimes the church and community within church can hurt us. And they can let us down. And I want to say that because I think there are so many people who are disenfranchised with church in general. And and, and understand, I'm not trying to, to minimize pain, but I think a reason that so many of us feel pain to an even extreme level is because we never thought that it was even possible for a church to hurt us. We never even thought it was possible for Christian people to let us down. Why? Because we're Christians. But I just want to let you know Sometimes the church will let you down. Anyone ever been there, you don't got to raise your hand. But sometimes church people hurt. And if you haven't experienced yet, it's coming. And you're like, Harrison, how do I know this? How do you know this? I'll give you two reasons why I know this. Number one is this. We are imperfect people. If you didn't know this, God is perfect. We are not. We are imperfect people serving a perfect God. This means... That the imperfect people serving the perfect God aren't always perfect. I know, mind blown. And that many times can lead to disappointment. It can lead to hurt. It can lead to heartache. And I know a lot of us have this illusion perhaps that Christian people have it together all the time. I'm here to let you know we don't. And in these moments sometimes we hurt each other. Reason number one, I know that hurt and pain from church are coming, is because we're imperfect people serving a perfect God. Here's number two, the Bible tells me so. You guys know the song, like Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells. Like Abby was on stage singing it last week. If you guys saw that, uh, really cute. Um, y'all don't know like the second verse that we don't talk about a lot, but it's like the church hurt me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you didn't know this, I'm going to explain the New Testament for you. There's the four books at the start, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. Those are all about the life of Jesus. After the life of Jesus comes the book of Acts and all of these epistles. And all of the books after the Gospels are about the church. They're about the early church. They're letters to the church. And if you didn't know this, every single letter in the New Testament after the Gospels deals specifically with conflict in church. Either directly, like this this letter was only written because there's conflict, or indirectly, letting you know, here's how you handle conflict in church. You want to know what that means? When there's church conflict, you might be caught off guard. God isn't. And God did not leave us empty-handed to say, you people figure it out. No, he gave us the New Testament, which helps us to understand this. And so here's the issue. Should conflict happen in church? Probably not. Is it going to happen? Yes. Does conflict hurt? Absolutely. But here is a tension that I want us to hold. Relationships in church have the potential to hurt us, but I can't survive without relationships in church. So I have to hold both tensions in my hand. I need relationship, but relationship will hurt me. Now, if you're like, Harrison, I don't know if I should move forward then. I want to let you know something you've never thought about, but every single relationship in your life, you hold that tension. In your marriage, you hold that tension. I love this person, but this person's a jerk, right? Like, I, you hold the tension. Friendships, family, workplaces. We enter into relationships with the expectation these people could hurt us. And it's painful. But I just believe that we need community, and I believe that in order for us to experience church to the fullest, it's not sitting in a seat being anonymous and leaving. It's being plugged in to community, to people, and experiencing life change. Now, I know for some of us, because maybe you're in this place already and you've been hurt, and one of the things that happens when you're hurt is that it's hard to go all out afterwards. Any of you guys play sports You guys ever got an injury like a back injury before? I've had too many to count. Come on, somebody. And one of the hard things about an injury when you go to play sports after is you can't do the motion fully. Why? Because you're in pain. And so I I can't, like I can't fully swing the way I want to swing that club because my back hurts. And I know that's how some of us are in church. I want to dive in deep, but I've just been hurt before. And I want to let you know something. Relational hurts don't get better over time. They get deeper. And so what we have to do is we have to enter into a posture of healing. Otherwise, the pains that we experienced years ago never leave us. And there are people that were hurt by Sister Betty 14 years ago, and the pain is just as deep today. So what we need to do, because we need community is we need to learn how to heal and move forward from community. And what I I really want to do even more specifically today is I want to give us some tools that I think can help us as we begin to engage in community. And here's why I want to do this. In September, we're launching our fall season of Kingdom Cruise, which are our small groups. Come on, somebody. Anyone excited for small groups to launch? I'm just believing in the name of Jesus. We're going to have more groups than we've ever had. People are going to go deeper than they've ever gone before. But I also know there are people who are on the side of the pool kind of just a little bit nervous to put their toes in. Because it seems hard to be vulnerable again. But honestly, the deepest transformation you will have is within the context of groups. So we need to get into them. August 29th, if you want to lead a group... Tuesday, right here at the church. we got a training night. we got an interest night. Come check it out. Even if you're like, I don't know if I'm going to lead. You can come check it out. It's going to be amazing. And then in September, we're launching crews. So I want us to put in motion today some steps that can help us tomorrow so we can enter into the new season ready to go, uh, believing that we serve the God that wants to make all things new. So what I want to do is I want to go into the book of 2 Corinthians because I think it's the perfect book. help, especially hard situations, because I'll give you guys the context of even the church in Corinth. So Paul is this apostle, he's this pastor, church planter, and he started a church in a place called Corinth. And Paul, in our Bible, we have two letters that he wrote to the Corinthians. The first letter, which we call 1 Corinthians, really is Paul writing to a church that's wild. And he's like, y'all need to calm down, stop sleeping with your mother-in-law. Uh, like, yeah, that's in the Bible. Like, every, I, I love when people are like, the world is so immoral, it's never been this bad before. Read the New Testament. <laughs> so the whole book, Paul's like correcting the church, right? Because like, they're like speaking tongues for 45 minutes and no one's understanding anything. And he's just like, chill out. Like, it's, it's a cool book. You got to read it, 1 Corinthians. So that's the first book. Paul's, like, correcting them. Some time goes on. Then we have 2 Corinthians. Now, in the book of 2 Corinthians, things have changed just a little bit. The church that Paul has planted has now kind of become a little bit suspicious of Paul. There's been some dissension. People in the church have kind of been saying, like, well, I get it. Paul started this place, but who is Paul really? Who is this dude? And, and, like, they're, like, making fun of him even, like, this guy's been shipwrecked, he's been abandoned, he's been beaten, he's been flogged. Like, I thought we're, like, victorious in Christ Jesus. Why is his life so hard? He must not be a real apostle. And I can imagine, because, like, you know, being the pastor of this church, it would almost be like, in, like, five years, y'all hate me. Like, that's, that's kind of painful. I hope you know, some of you guys are like, I already hate you, but I, like... <laughs> So Paul, that, that's, that's the context. Now he's writing a letter to this church. And what I love about this letter is that Paul didn't need to write it. He could have been like, you know what? These guys don't like me. They've hurt me. I'm done. See you later. That's it. I have a whole bunch of other churches I can go check out. Kingdom churches hurt me. I can go. I'm not going to finish the sentence. But um, that's kind of the context. But, but here's the lesson when the going gets tough, Paul looks to Jesus. And he uses him as an example of what reconciliation looks like. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to use this example of Christ to show us how we can do community better. And ultimately how we can begin to kind of heal from some of our hurts. So, Second Corinthians five, everyone following? Yeah. This is what he says is for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. Now, compel means motivates, right? He says, Christ's love compels us. Why do I do what I do? Why don't I give up on community? Why don't I give up on people? Why don't I give up on the church? Christ's love compels us. It motivates us. I don't give up because of Jesus and his love. So, how do we lean into community? How do we experience healthy community? Pretty simple. Healthy community must always be rooted in the love of Jesus. That's our starting place. Healthy community must be rooted in the love of Jesus. Now, in our culture, love is somewhat of a buzzword. So when we think about love, we don't often think about love the way the Bible's talking about love. In our culture, love is primarily a feeling, right? To love something is to feel something. Now, feeling is a part of love, but in the Bible, there's a much bigger picture. Now, the issue with love is only predicated on feeling is when feeling fades, love dissipates. And that's the issue with our culture where they cry out, love is love, but the love that is based on feeling will always be fleeting, And so when the feeling fades, love dissipates. That's why we have such dissension, even though culture says we love each other, we love everyone until the feeling fades or until someone disagrees with me. So in scripture, what does love mean? Well, he says love compels us. Well, what's the love of Jesus? It's this conviction that he died for all. So in the Bible, when it talks about love, one of the components about love is self-sacrifice. How do we know that Jesus loves us? He sacrificed himself for us. We're convinced that he died for us. Jesus died for you, and he died for me. Now, in our culture, like when Billy Graham would preach that like Jesus died for you, like people's like, I need a Savior. Thank you, Billy. In 2023, we got an issue. Uh, it's that most people think they're really good people. I was, we were talking to someone, Christy and I, and she was like, you know what? I have a real issue with the Bible. Like, I love what you're saying, but, like, I don't really understand why Jesus had to die for me. Because, like, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. And anyone ever feel that? Like, did he really, like, die? Like, that's kind of extreme. Like, I give to charity didn't you see what I posted last month? I used the hashtag and everything. Like, I'm a pretty good person. Now, I don't know y'all, but I think, like, just looking out, like, I think you guys are pretty good people. I think I'm a pretty good person. There's only one issue. I'm not always a good person. Like, my baseline's pretty good y'all ever been golfing and the group in front of you is really slow <laughs> like I think I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart my mind my soul like I'm I'm good like, I don't think I sin up here ever or maybe I do some of you guys like I've seen it but. <laughs> but I have moments where I lose my temper you guys ever been there I have moments, I can't even believe it because I look at my kids sometimes like the cutest humans ever. uh, And and you wouldn't believe it, sometimes I get mad at them. (laughs) He's like, You monster! (laughs) I'm just being honest. Like, I I love Jesus, but y'all ever been in the devil's playground before, talking about social media, um, and, and like you're scrolling? And you see the video, and you should scroll to the next video, but, but you look a little bit. Too, you ever been there? Like, I'm a good person, but I'm not always a good person. And there's something you need to understand about God. God is holy, and God is good. And at times, we're good, and at times, we're holy, but we're not always, and God always is. So we have this issue that a holy God demands holy people. So the reason that Jesus has to die is because when sin entered the world, that which is holy, being us, became unholy. And so when Jesus dies, what he did is he literally reconciled, we're going to see that in a second, us back to the Father. How did he do that? Well, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. I I love this. It says that we could become the righteousness of God. So because of Jesus, when I'm in him, this is the cool part. God doesn't hold those sins against us. All he sees is Jesus. And we're forgiven. And we're free. And we can come boldly. And so ultimately, talking about love, what is the love of God? The love of God is this. Instead of simply saying, forget these unholy people forever who do sick and twisted things, who get angry at little kids, I'm going to send my son and reconcile all things back to him. That's the love that he's talking about. It is a sacrificial love. And ultimately, get this, it is a love not based on feelings, not even based on what we have done, but based on who he is. And Paul is saying that love compels us. That love compels us. He says, for Christ's love, we were convinced that one died for all. We miss this in church sometimes. Jesus died for everyone. All. Like, even that person you really look up to in church because they're like your spiritual father, Jesus died for them even too. Because even they don't have it all together. One of the things being a pastor, it's funny, like as I get to know more pastors, I've something, like they're all people too. And I'm like, did you just say that? And I'm like, wait, I'm a pastor too. And you should hear some things I say, come on somebody. Jesus died for all. And so he says, verse 15, he says, because he died for all, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them, and was raised again. Because he died, I don't live like I used to. He died for all that those who live should no longer live like they used to. So here's how we do community well. We don't live like we used to. I don't do relationships like I used to. I don't, I don't view people how I viewed people before Jesus. Now, here's the issue with this verse is we always read this verse for someone else. We read it for our friend Jimmy. Like, like has Jimmy not read 2 Corinthians 5? He shouldn't be living like this anymore. Like, he was baptized last week, and how did he say that to me this week? The verse isn't for Jimmy, it's for you. And it's for me. I can't live how I used to live. So here is the baseline for entering into healthy community. Other than being rooted in the love of Jesus, which is number one, I need to learn to die to myself. I have to die to myself. Here's the part we don't always like, because we say, I want to be like Jesus, I want to live like Jesus, I want to love. To be like Jesus is to die like Jesus. That's the hard part about the gospel. To live like Jesus is to die like Jesus. And to say, ooh, because... I don't know if any of you guys are like this, but when, like, when someone cracks a joke, oh, man, like, I want to fill up the grenade and, like, just, like, shoot back. And, but to live like Jesus, like, I, I got to die to myself sometimes and say I don't, I don't do things like I used to do them. Philippians chapter 2, this is also Paul in a different book, talking about what it's like to be like Jesus. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. This is the hard part. Value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Like, this will help you, not just in church. Can I, can I give you some great marriage advice right now? You want to have a great marriage, look to the interests of your spouse before your own. I promise you, like, there's some more stuff you should do. But if you start there, your life is going to be a whole lot better. In church, in life, at work, start valuing the interests of people above our own. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. You know, one of the things I just, I want to just call it out, this isn't a marriage sermon, but there's this lie that like, and it's a very common thing we say to men. And it really just kind of lets off the hook where it's like, men, you know you'll never understand your wives. So don't try. You guys heard this one? Like, they're an unknown species, man. It's from the devil. The reason that we say that is because we just want to be selfish. We know to understand means I have to think of myself less. In community, I have to think about others before me. Now, Here's where it gets hard because like when everyone's serving each other sacrificially like we should in church, it's kind of easy. You guys ever had like the one-up thing where it's like they give me something, I give them something, they bless me, I bless them, and it's just like a whole bless fest. Like you ever been there? And that's like that's the best part of church, right? But the hard part of church is how do I still bless people when they hurt me, when they let me down, when they don't give me what I want? I have to doubt in myself. I have to doubt to myself when people say stupid things. I have to doubt to myself when people treat me the way that I don't deserve to be treated. Now, I'm going to explain that deeper because I'm not talking about being a, a mat that gets walked over. But let me tell you a story, um, and I can only tell you guys stupid stories from the past, not from this church. Mostly because there are no stupid people here. Come on, somebody. So uh, I'll tell you a story, and uh, I'm telling this story with 10 years in the review, and uh, I'm not telling you how it went. I'm telling you how I would deal with it now, that Jesus has changed my heart even more so. So uh, I, I did um, uh, an internship in B.C. when I was studying to become a pastor. And uh, at this internship, I preached uh, at this church, and it was probably the, maybe the second time I would ever preached. And at this time, uh, I was preaching my one sermon that I had over and over again because, like, I was too scared to write a second sermon. Because I was like, how do you write a second one? That first one was really hard. And I, I, I was at the church. I preached the sermon. And one of the things that you kind of did in, in these places is you'd go to the back by the door, and you'd shake everyone's hand as they walked out. Right, so every single person has you know gets to come through now. Most people they're just like, God bless you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you're so good looking, thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, but this one particular uh, gentleman, I'll, I'll never forget it. He comes over, shakes my hand, he looks me in the eye, and he says, uh, He's like, Hey, it's like I love the message, but now, when everyone when, everyone, when anyone ever says, I loved it, but, the but's about to kind of erase everything else. Yes. He's like, I love the message, but I just want to let you know that uh, you had your hand in your pocket a lot of the time when you're preaching. He's like, I just want to let you know you don't look like a pastor when your, hand, when your hand's in your pocket. God bless you. See you later. <laughs> like, first time ever preaching. And, and to be honest, I don't really like the, like the hand-in-the-pocket look either. It's kind of weird. But uh, now, y'all know what the flesh, what I want to do in that moment, right? <laughs> I'm like, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things about our flesh is that it's really easily justified. We can justify our behavior because it's like, should a grown man be talking to a 21-year-old like that? Have he no shame? It doesn't, like, it's easy to justify. But Scripture says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, so from now on, we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And I'll explain that in a second. So what this means, with Jesus, I can't deal with this the way I would without Jesus. Now, I told you I'm telling this story in reverse. I didn't do this 10 years ago. I'm just like, I was not the most, like, you guys are like, what a 21-year-old man. No, this is 10 years later. But what I try to do now, when people do things that hurt, is instead of immediately wanting them to understand me, I need to first begin to try and understand them. And I was thinking about this guy this week and what I began to do. This is how I understand people, is I begin to try and think the best of them. And I begin to think to myself, like, what would cause someone to do that? Like, there's something inside of you that, that 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 is built in you that allows you to just give negative criticism immediately. Like, there's probably some hurt, there's probably some pain behind it. And so as I was thinking about that guy this week, I began to wonder, like, what if, like, he grew up in a household where he was never good enough? Like, what if he grew up in a household where every single thing he did was critiqued? Because when I do that, then I can begin to come to a place of grace. To say, maybe this person isn't an evil, horrible human being. Maybe he's just someone that's been hurt. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that because I've been hurt. And when I do that, he's no longer the enemy. He's just someone who, like you and I, needs a Savior, who needs Jesus. So I want you to think about your situation because I want you to understand, because some of us, like things have happened within the context of church that have never happened, never should have happened, I should say. And I don't want you to think that I'm letting those people off the hook because if someone has done something really bad, like I'm not... You guys understand that? Yeah. Everyone good? But whatever that moment is, as hard as this may be, I want you to try and begin to think about the best case scenario. Not the worst case scenario. And the best case scenario often is simply this. There's probably something deeper beneath this. I'm Because... What the flesh says is I'm the issue. And if they're they're just doing this to me, then I hate that person because they're evil. They're wicked. But maybe they have some pain as well. Paul says we no longer regard people from the worldly point of view. He says though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. See, what Paul's talking about is that before Jesus died, he he was a Pharisee. And when he thought about Jesus, he Mm -hmm. was like, he's just a dude. He's just a guy. He says, but now, like, we don't look at people the way we once did. So here's something that I want us to to put in our spirit that I think can help us. A lot of times when someone hurts us, our first reaction is, how could they do that? How could they do that? Can I give you just one sentence that will help fill up your grace meter a little bit? Simply this. Next time someone in church hurts you, say this. Oh, that's why Jesus had to die. That's why he had to die. Because we're all imperfect people serving a perfect God. It's easy to throw grenades back. It's easy to start World War III. It's a whole lot harder to say, I'm going to be like Jesus, and I'm going to die to myself. But he says, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. Come on, when I'm in Jesus, I don't don't do things the way I do things. So, So here's the point. The cross and the message of Jesus flips my perspective. I don't deal with things the way I used to. Some of us before Jesus, it was like, I don't forgive and I don't forget. So you better not cross me. Jesus flips my perspective. It means now with Christ, I seek restoration. I seek reconciliation. Why? Because Jesus sought the same thing for me. He didn't leave me where I was. He made a way where there was no way. It's funny, when I was in school, I had a professor. He was our pastoral professor. And all of his classes, pretty much all he taught was conflict resolution. And when I was in school, I was like, bro, just, like, we want to be pastors. Why are you only talking about conflict? Um, now I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, that's why, like, that's why that's all he cared about. Because um, that's, like, what pastoral ministry is, it's dealing with conflict. And we had to read these books. And, like, I hated these books when I was in school. But it's funny. Uh, how I remember things still, and there's two things that in these books, Ken Sandy, the Peacemaker, that's what it's called. Uh, two things that stick out. Number one is this: he said conflict is an opportunity to glorify God. You see, most of us we run away from conflict, we shy away, we peace out, and a lot of times, like what you hear in the world today, is like when the going gets tough, just leave. That's the uh, just leave. I think scripture says conflict is a great opportunity to glorify God. It's a way for us to lean in and say, I'm not going to do things the way I used to do things. Here's another one that I love. Because some of us, where our minds usually go in sermons like this, (laughs) ironically, none of us are really thinking about the people that we've hurt. Our minds are mostly going just to those who have hurt us. I love what he says. He says, in conflict, he says, no one is 100% responsible. No matter what you think. There's only one person without blame. His name is Jesus. And you, Sister Karen in church, are not Jesus. So no matter what the conflict is, even if it's really small, you played a role. And so this is what he said. I love this. He says, even in conflict, he said, if I am only 2% responsible, I'm 100% responsible for that 2%. I have, to, I have to, to play my role. I have to do my part. Why? Because the love of Jesus compels me. It means this. Even the 98%, I don't have to wait for them to make it better. And that's where most of us go in conflict. We say, well, I'm going to wait for them. We don't have to. And I'm so thankful that we have someone in Scripture we can look up to who didn't wait to step in. And that was Jesus. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Not once we had our act together, not once we went and apologized, this is while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I'm so glad Jesus didn't wait to reconcile things for me. He did it in advance. And so he is our guide. He is our picture when it comes to conflict to say as far as possible and you know in your situations it might not be that far you can go that's okay as far as possible i own what is mine because i believe that conflict is an opportunity for god to be glorified because it is in reconciliation in restoration that god is glorified even more so than when we speak the name of jesus We may not like this because it's easy to sing, Great are you, Lord. That was kind of off-key, so none of that is (laughs) good. Thanks, Prince. Like It's easy to, to praise God that way. But I think there is much greater glory given to God through reconciliation. And that's the glory that's a whole lot harder to give to God. But even in that, his name can be proclaimed. And ultimately, this is the big message of the gospel. Listen to this. Well, let me read it, then we can listen. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says, All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So ultimately, the gospel is a message of reconciliation. And I I love this. It says, God has been reconciling all things to him, the whole world. So the gospel, the good news, it's not just that we are saved from our sins. That's a part of it. That's a part that God has saved us from sin and death, that we are reconciled with the Father. But the heart of God is not to just make parts of our life new but to make all things new. That's the message. And so what that means is this. I'm not experiencing the full power of the gospel when I'm stuck in offense. I'm not experiencing the full power of Jesus when I'm living in resentment, in bitterness, in hurt. He wants us to experience freedom. And it's not just freedom from the bad things we think about. Like, God freed me from drugs. God freed me. That's great. That's amazing. But there's more. Some people like, I don't have a testimony. I never got drunk. Well, are you bitter? Is there resentment in your heart? Because God wants to free us from all of those things. It's the message of reconciliation. And I love this. Christ has reconciled us. And it says, now he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, only one person can die for your sins. That's Jesus. You get that? Your relationship with that person, you got some work to do. Now he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So, I don't just sit passively and say, I'm gonna pray, I'm just gonna pray and pray, please. But sometimes God says, You gotta take a step. Sometimes you gotta die to your ego, you gotta die to your pain. You see, one of the things that bitterness does is this bitterness turns from one person has hurt me to everyone has hurt me. You see, if I don't learn to forgive the man who told me to not put my hand in my pocket, You want to know what happens every single time I go to the door? I will tense up, and I'm ready to fight. Like, you want to shake my hand? (laughs) Because that's what bitterness does, what hurt does, what pain does. And and some of us, this message of, like, forgiveness, like, forgive people that have hurt us. It's like, Harrison, how could I ever forgive someone that's hurt me? Ultimately, it's not even for them. It's for you. Because if you don't forgive the rest of your life, you're going to be fists up not letting people in, not experiencing the goodness and the fullness of community and the hope that is found in it. And so I just want to encourage you as the kingdom advances, the kingdom of Jesus, it's not just people singing, great are you Lord. The kingdom advances when we seek restoration, when we seek reconciliation, and ultimately when we begin to die to ourselves. And so I want to encourage us this summer Let's begin that healing journey. Let's begin to say, man, like, I'm so thankful Jesus died. Now I can understand that person. And maybe what they did to me had nothing to do with me and everything to do with something going on inside of them. And I was just caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. It doesn't let them off. It doesn't excuse them. But I'm not going to let that situation be the thing that holds me back from all that god wants me to do and so i just believe this fall we're going to have more people in groups than ever we're going to have more groups than ever and i believe from it we're going to see fruit like we've never seen before so as we stand for a second church as we close i just want to give us this appeal and this charge to begin today to release hurt to release unforgiveness for some of us to step forward in faith you've been hurt, you've been let down, but to say I'm going to step forward this year and plug into community so right now if any of those things I just said resonated with you, every head bowed every eye closed, maybe you want to release something today, if you just want to release something today, I would just love every head bowed could you just show your hand in in a posture of release i got to release something Come on, keep those hands up. The rest of us, if you're in a place where you want to step forward boldly, you want to go deeper than you've ever gone before, can you show me your hand as well? Thank you. Father, you see every single hand, you see every single heart. You know the pain, you know the hurt, you know the bitterness, and we just thank you, Jesus, that you have died for that person. You have died for that pain. You have died for the offense that was brought against us. And... Most of all, Jesus, I just thank you that you have paid our offense, that you've died for our sins. And so as we move forward in faith, I pray for a release right now, a release of that weight, a release of that bitterness, and I pray for the spirit of forgiveness. Father, we forgive those who have come against us. We forgive those who have sinned against us. We forgive those who have hurt us. Father, we know that bitterness is the poison that we drink hoping the other person dies. So in your name, Father, we just release that poison that's been coursing through us. We pray for forgiveness and we just thank you for reconciliation. God, I pray for groups. I pray for our crews. I pray that people go deeper. I pray that friendships are formed that are better and more life-giving than we've ever experienced before. And we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. I want to just close on this. Every, every hand, you can, you can close your hands so you can put your hands down for a moment. If you're in this place right now, you've never accepted Jesus before. You never knew that there was a God that loved you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins. If you didn't know that, or you want to just begin to take that journey, you want to make a recommitment, maybe you've fallen off a little bit, if that's you today, every head bowed, every eye closed, you want to give your life to Jesus, can you show me your hand in this place? Thank you. Father, you see every hand and every decision. It is the best decision we will ever make to go on a journey with you. So we just join with heaven is celebrating what's happening in people's hearts right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We love you, Lord. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Thanks for taking the time to listen to that message. If you want more information or made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.